Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome everybody to Self-Storage Income. Today, we have a topic that is probably, I don't know, top three on, it's a big one, especially right now, and how to raise funds. More importantly, how to do it right. And this is a topic that we kind of enter into, and then I always quickly get out of it because there's a lot of legality and I'm yeah. not an attorney. So I, say, yeah, throw your massive disclaimer in there. <laughs> yes, uh, every time I yeah. even begin to talk about it, like, I don't know what I'm talking about. So uh, <laughs> instead, we got someone who does, which I'm really excited about because Bethany Laflemme is my attorney as well. Well, our attorney for uh, Cedar Creek Wealth. So we could not be more excited to have you on, Bethany. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is a a, a wild time when it comes to uh, raising capital. I, I don't think we've ever seen anything like this before. No, it's kind of crazy. And I know there are people sort of skating by. That's why I love you as a client, because I know you actually want to do everything on the up and up. So it makes it, my life a little bit easier when, when the client really wants to follow the rules. Yes, we, we prefer just tell us what to do and I'll do it. That's all I want to be told. <laughs> Just tell yeah. me what to do. <laughs> uh, it's kind of important because the consequences aren't little, you know, I mean, it's not like, yeah. oh, hey, yeah, you kind of did this wrong. It's, hey, yeah, so you're going to go to jail and then <laughs> uh, maybe prison <laughs> for a right. long time. And if anything, it's just, you. yeah, it's just damaging to the reputation. And that's what that's I just can't one. like, yeah. I, you know, I, it's, it's not worth it for people that are in this for the long term, not out to make a quick buck. But we're seeing so many people raising capital right now. I mean, it just me and Connor are just hearing about it nonstop. Everybody's out there. And I feel like the internet brought on a whole new way to, first of all, learn, um, but reach people. And it's opened up opportunities and options that a lot of people didn't have in investing, you know, just a little while back. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the SEC is really, I think, trying to keep up with all these changes, right? I mean, it's kind of easy back in the day when you had to have, you know, you had to have paper and you had to have, get everybody in a conference room and and you would pitch and everything was in writing and it was every it was a little bit clearer and cleaner. And now I think the SEC is really just trying to to keep up with with social media and influencers and and all of the the people with these followings. It's it's really hard for some people with a filing like yourself, for example, to not be raising money. So then, okay, what do we do to keep that all in check? Exactly. Well, it's amazing how fast, I mean, just touching on that technology in you know, the span of a year, how much it progresses. And then you look at things you know, like legislation and, and addressing some of these things and these government entities, whether it's the crypto stuff or it's you know, raising funds and the SEC trying to keep up, like yeah. none of those agencies can formulate solutions quick enough. Um, so it's a, definitely a big issue, but um, 
again, that's why we got all the experts in to make sure that, you know, regardless, it's not going to be an issue. Yeah. Um, And and too, like not, not just with the change up in how things are being raised and what they're doing. It's also, we're seeing large changes in, in the way that we actually raise funds. So the way in which we're raising funds through third party portals and through communication through other platforms like, you know, Instagram or Facebook or anything else like that. There's so many touch points going on. It's like all over the board, um, you know, and that's what really gets me nervous with people is like that interaction you're having with potential investors on five different platforms, asking people for money. Maybe you should be, maybe you shouldn't be. Um, how does, and there's, it's, these agencies haven't come out with, I feel like, to tell the market really clearly defined um, ways. And there's just so much amb- ambiguity in it all. Uh, it's why we were really nervous to even start raising funds because we didn't understand that. Yeah, you know, it, and it's a little bit yes and a little bit no in terms of whether there are rules or not. Some things are very bright line and other things are a little bit nebulous. And so that's kind of where we come in, right? Where we can we can yes. help you stay on the right side of the line, not walk the line. I, the way I look at it is my job is not to help you figure out a way around the rules, but to help you build a business within the rules that is compliant, right? And, and I think that's a, an important message for, for a lot of our clients to understand is my job is not to help you get around the rules. That's not what we're yes. trying to do. It's, it's to just build your business and so, and, and be compliant. Um, you know, the, the SEC has kept up a little bit. I mean, 506C, which is what you're typically operating under, which allows you to advertise is a relatively new creation, right? So you get a little bit of the best of both worlds and then you're just limited to allowing accredited investors only, which, which you know. And so we even think those rules might change actually a, a little bit in the future. But the, the being able to generally solicit and advertise in a private offering is, is relatively new. And I think a lot of that was, was um, kind of brought on by this social media age where you're out talking as you would, right? You're talking about what you had for dinner last night and about your cat. No, by the way, here's what I'm doing for work. Yeah. And, and it looks a lot like general solicitation if you even just, even Thank if you're you. not saying, hey, please give me your money. And yeah. you're just saying, look at this awesome walkthrough or look at we're under contract. Yeah property. And, you know, there's this thing called conditioning the market that the SEC regulates and, and the SEC actually regulates not just the sale of securities, but the offer of securities, right, which is where this, this social media comes into play. And, and so a lot of it is, is nebulous, but a lot of it, we can really give you some very clear guidance. Now, walk through somebody you know, you talk about some of these things are very clear and other aren't so much. I think a lot of people, whether you're scaling or you're starting out, there becomes confusion with, I have friends and family that I know. If I'm talking with them, I have an LLC, I'm going to buy a property. I want them to invest with me. If I talk to them, is that soliciting? Is it not? Like just for someone starting out, what are the clear guidelines? Like what do they need to know and understand? And then we can move more into the ambiguity side. So let, the one thing that we should be clear on is what even is a security? What is a syndication, right? When are you issuing securities? And the reality is it doesn't matter the amount. It doesn't matter how many people, and it doesn't matter whether or not you know them. If you are offering an opportunity for someone else to put in their money and be passive and earn a return based on your efforts, then you are selling a security. And it could be grandma for $5,000 just one time, and it's still a security. 
So then we go into, okay, then how do we stay compliant, right? How do we either, you know, the three ways you can, you, you can issue securities. One is you do a public offering, you register that security. In real estate, we're almost never going to do that, right? Two is you find an exemption. Most of the exemptions we find are going to be either, it's Reg D usually, 506B or 506C. There are other options, but for your purposes, I think that's that's where we want to be. Or or the third option is it's simply illegal, right? Yeah. And so those are those are pretty clear rules. Now, how do we work within those? Let's say we have only five people and you know they all want to invest and I know them. We can work, we can work with that. Um, depending on if they're all accredited, depending on if they could all actually contribute something. Um, that's usually my favorite answer, right? Is be a JV and they can, which is funny since it's talking me out of a job basically because I'm a syndication lawyer. But if it's just a few folks, then you say, everybody put on you know, your, your worker cap and pick a job and do that job and you can actually be a legitimate JV, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, do you kind of want to touch on the difference of that real quick? You know, I do, because a lot of people just think, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and do a JV. And that is not at all how it works. You don't decide whether or not it's a JV, right? You, how you structure it doesn't make a difference. It's either a security or it's a JV, and it, it can't be both. Those are mutually exclusive things. Um, now, you can change your facts to make it a JV if you want to stay out of the, the syndication side, meaning you don't want to do all the disclosures and the, and the requirements to stay under one of those exemptions I mentioned because you've only got a few folks or it's not enough money to warrant the cost, whatever. Let's say it's $100,000 and you've got two people going to put it in, right? You can either do a 506C offering if those two people are accredited, and then you can choose which, which disclosures. But on a JV side, the JV means you guys are business partners. There are no investors in a JV. There are partners, right? So everybody has to have a job and it's got to be a meaningful, substantial job, not like you know, oh, cute, we're going to put this up on the fridge for you. It's got to be a real job, right? So they can help with diligence. They can deal with the lawyers. They can they can help with asset management, um, do the walkthroughs. There are a lot of things to do in a syndication that, that folks can, or I'm sorry, in a real estate transaction, rather, that folks can do. And that can keep it in the JV side. And then you just have your operating agreement and your JV agreement that tells what everybody's going to do, how you're going to split. Things you want to steer clear of in a JV fees, right? If you're all partners, then one of you is not doing all of the work, which means one of you is not earning all of the fees, right? Um, prefs, preferred returns, those don't look like a JV agreement at all. That looks a lot like a syndication, right? Yeah. So you want to have splits based on what everybody's doing, not, yeah, yeah. you know, one person puts all the money, they get 80%. You don't want it to look like a syndication to just call it a JV, um, and so that's where I, I will help with the sort of where are the lines. And, you know, if it's not a JV, I will actually refer you to your real estate transactions council and keep it in that world. And really good real estate transactions lawyers will look at, look at it and say, this really is a syndication. Go back over there and they'll send yeah. you back over. No, I think, you know, how look at it is, first of all, the passive investing side. The moment you're at somebody that I'm giving you money to make a return, I don't have anything to do with it. I live across the United States. You send me a check in the mail. That's a pretty clear, your, your security, right? They're right. investing as passive. They're making it, right? Um, and then the, the other side um, uh, that you mentioned is the structure. So how you're structuring returns and how that money is 
um, working within that uh, real estate transaction will really define how it's viewed upon by the SEC or others. It is one of the facts uh, in a facts and circumstances analysis. So the SEC looks at a lot of these uh, decisions that they'd be making if they are getting involved on a facts and circumstances basis, which means you need to have more good facts to convince an investigator from the SEC that you are on the right side of the law. And so I'm pretty conservative in that regard. I want to give you all the good facts, right? And then I give you all of the good facts and then you decide kind of from a business perspective where you need to fall within that, right? Um, to be on the right side of the law. So yes, the, the split structure does matter. Now, the entity structure does not, right? The entity structure doesn't make it a JV or not a JV, right? Yeah. It, but you're right. One of the facts definitely is the deal structure. How are we doing our splits? Yeah, I think a lot of people are very confused on that. I think a lot of people think it's just the deal structure, meaning did I create a deal that was a syndication? And they're like, oh, no, it's just an LLC. Well, that right. doesn't yeah. mean it's not a syndication. Right. The people, oh, I just want to do an SPV. I don't want, I don't want to deal with securities. I just want to do an SPV. Super. You are still selling securities. Still selling I can't securities. tell you how many times I've talked to people where I say this and I look across the faces and I see people go, oh. <laughs> they, they've been selling securities and they didn't realize. And they're like, oh, you know, and, and it's now, is that mean you're going to go to jail if you've done that? No, that's not how you wind up in jail. It's not good, but it's not going to land you in jail. Um, but it's something we would want to steer clear of. So, of course. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I like to think about it as just anytime we get straight to jail. That way we yeah. don't, nobody in my office even thinks about it. Nope. Yeah. We break that straight to jail. So that, that's not really true at all, but that's how we think about it. It's like, yeah. we just do exactly what it is. Um, but uh, another question that I wanted, that wanted to ask here was what we, we kind of have these fundamentals um, then we start to move into more of what I think people are really involved in multiple partners, you have money people operating people, and they do need to syndicate it, meaning I have to get money from other people that aren't going to be involved at all in this, because I can't afford it if I don't, right. And uh, when you move there uh, into that, that realm where it's like, yeah, I got a rich uncle, he's gonna have to give me money. You're not doing anything, right? I know that I need to syndicate this. Walk walk through options and what they should expect and kind of pros and cons of doing it different ways. Well, so if you know you need to raise money and, and if, to grow, that is that is a, a natural way to go, right? To use OPM, right? That's what, yep. the, what everybody wants to do. Yep. And it, so your options really are first to figure out who do you have in your circle? right? Do you have enough rich uncles to, to get this deal done, right? Um, are you, do you have people in your circle that maybe aren't accredited, meaning they, they don't make $200,000 a year or more the past two years and reasonably expected this year or 300 if they're married, or they don't have a net worth of a million dollars excluding their primary residence. So that's the definition, the, the primary definition of accredited. There are other ways to get there. So if you, if you have enough people in your circle um, that you could do that raise, that's going to help dictate what your options are, right? So um, do you need to go outside of your circle? So if you have enough people in your circle where you don't have to advertise, you don't have to go out on social media, you don't have to, to, 
to rally a bunch of people to come do that, then you can be under what's called a 506B, like boy, which that means that you're under an exemption and you can actually allow up to 35 non-accredited investors, right? But the trade-off there is that you cannot generally solicit, you cannot advertise. And I always recommend that if you are doing a 506B offering, that you stay off social media other than to talk about your personal stuff, value add, whatever. Don't talk about the property, even if you're not asking for money. Don't do your walkthrough videos. Don't, you know, stay away from, from anything to do with this deal at all. And that's why I could never go down that road because I'm right. like, I, we literally have a podcast that that's all we're talking right, about. Right, exactly. It's the deals we're doing and what's going on. So we're like, right. that's out of the question. Yeah. Well, just, it's just, actually not out of the question. It just gets a little bit trickier. So, yeah. so one thing we For me, it was out of the question because I'm like, I'll say something stupid. I know I will. <laughs> that's, fair. So. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, but we have developed some guidelines for, for clients just like you of how do you take a random podcast listener, maybe don't call them that, a podcast listener to a 506B eligible investor. And there are steps you can take to get there, right? But you do have to be very careful about what you say. And if you don't really want to watch what you say all the time, then you're right. The safest thing is to do the other option, which is 506C. So 506C is the one where you can, you can shout it from the rooftops, you can do a podcast, you can get out a billboard on the freeway if you want to, whatever you want to do. Um, the, the primary rule there is simply that you cannot violate anti-fraud provisions, meaning it's got to be truthful and can't be misleading. Otherwise, knock yourself out. So you can, you can advertise, but you cannot accept any non-accredited investors. Everybody has to have either the income or the net worth to make them accredited. And you as the issuer, the person selling the security, you have to take reasonable steps to actually verify that your investors are accredited prior to accepting their money, not prior to advertising to them, because how would you know, but prior to accepting their money. I know your team is so conservative, AJ, that, that Kaylee was verifying before she even advertised to them. <laughs> so I love that. We didn't say anything <laughs> for a long time because I didn't think I could send stuff. I was sending you tweets. Could I even tweet this? Can I do this? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah you're fine, dude. But like, I like that. No, no, so no, but I, I prefer that to, should I not have done that? That's you know, asking, can you do it ahead of time? This is not one of those where you want to ask forgiveness instead of permission. No way. No way. Not at, not, not at all. And especially, you know, how, how we view it. And, and, you know, some people have been in the game and they're moving towards this, which they have a lot of other questions about. I've already been doing this. I haven't been raising money. Right. So then what's off limits for me to say and not, which makes me ask kind of more of a, a question, I guess, that's centered around us. I hope it's for good for the investors and everything. But why well, I've got Bethany on here, we might as well get some great uh, <laughs> advice. So, um, when we are like we have deals that we already syndicated. OK, so we followed all your rules. We did everything. We closed out on it. We raised the fund. We closed the fund out moving forward. I'm no longer raising money for those deals. Does that change how I talk about them or what I can say about the deals? It does actually, because these rules, the, the general solicitation and the advertising rules are for the offer and sale of securities. You're not selling securities any longer. Now it's just a thing you've done, right? So now it's facts. Like here's how it's performing. Now, what I would like you to do though, as you talk about how it's performing, 
I like to have the disclaimers of, you know, the past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results, right? That kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, so I like to have, I like to have those disclaimers so that it doesn't sound like you're promising the same results every time. Yeah. Um, the other thing to think about too, and again, it's not really an issue for you, but maybe some of your listeners is if you were doing a 506B offering and you've been quiet, quiet, quiet crickets, and you come out and start talking about past deals suddenly because you've got this new deal coming up, that is what's called conditioning the market. So you're not talking about your current deal, but no one's heard from you until you had that deal. So you're trying to, you're kind of trying to drive interest now for a 506B deal. Now for, again, for you, that's not a problem because you're out there. I'm a loud mouth. I'm always talking. So Right. That's right. That's why I tell people like, get loud before you have a deal. Do that and be consistent and then do a lot of value add, you know, talk about how awesome your team is. Talk about why you love self-storage. Talk about why you love um, certain markets, right? Whatever it is that you love, you can keep talking about that. Even if you have um, another deal going, but past deals, they're just now facts of things you've done. Got it. Okay. Such a good question. That is, that's a good, good answer to this. I, when we, when, um, when you're dealing with this and a lot of people that are moving, into it, right? I, I I think I was so concerned about it because the misconceptions that I think I had and the fear that I had, um, I was in business um, and went through 2008 and I had clients who raised money for real estate, right? And I saw people go to jail. Like I literally they were oh, yeah. clients because we did insurance, had nothing to do with real estate, anything else like that. But I saw those people that I knew all of a sudden they went to jail. And I think there's a lot of people like me that 2008 yeah. scarred them in a lot of ways, yeah. right? And it all of a sudden became like, even raising capital was bad. It was like, it just for a long time after that, I knew that it was like somebody tried to raise capital. They were, they were in a world of hurt. Because pretty yeah. much like everybody yeah. just assumed they were scamming or something. Yeah, right? everybody's breaking. And it <laughs> yes. And it took me a long time to break out of that. And I also was scared of the investors because of 08 and what happened afterwards. I thought, wow, they're going to take everything that we have or they have all control. I just had so many misconceptions. And when we're out talking about our deals or other deals on the market, I just see this just rampant, right? You say something on Twitter and everybody says, if you say that, you're going to prison. Or, right, you raised it and everybody thinks they're an attorney and they have opinions. Um, When you're raising a deal, what are some things like, for me, I look at the investors as this is a huge benefit. But two, I totally look at it differently now, where I used to thought that there was just massive embedded risk, you know, with obviously because of you, having you, it's like, no, this is it, it like, it's the same as using a bank. I got to follow the laws. We have to do everything that's put forth, right? But it's just another way to uh, use capital. And as long as we're doing it right, it's okay. And, you know, do you see that a lot? I do. I mean, people come to me and they're scared. They're scared to death, right? Of, of yeah. accepting other people's money. And it's a big, it is a big responsibility. I'm not going to say that it's yeah, not. 100%. And it's very serious. Um, however, if you follow the rules and you have someone guiding you through, you're not going to jail. I mean, you have to set out to really defraud people to go to jail, right? Yeah. Um, or be so oblivious to what you're supposed to be doing, right? If you're if you're trying to do the right thing in the market tanks, okay, that's but that's why you have me, right? I I will 
disclose the possibility of all the things we could think of, right? That could maybe go wrong and how people could lose their money. What are the risks here? What are the risks of real estate in general? What are the risks of investing in a brand new entity? Because all the issuers are new entities. What are the risks of, of not having a say over how this goes because you're investing in someone else as the manager? What are the risks of the specific asset class that you're in, right? Now we have COVID risks. Nobody, nobody thought about that yeah. before. What happens yeah. if, you know, there's a global pandemic? That wasn't one that, you know, that we and had. Somebody gets sick in one of my buildings because we didn't follow COVID rules right. or whatever that right. may be. Right. But yeah. it doesn't need to cripple your entire business. Yes. It doesn't need to cripple your entire livelihood or your personal status because, you know, your, your financial status because you've decided to raise money because you're exa you're exactly right it is still an opportunity if you're going out and raising money from people um because you have lousy credit or because you don't know how what you're doing and can't afford it or for all the reasons why it's not good for the investors okay then maybe we have we have an issue right yeah, of course but if you're doing it to expand an already successful business right and you're doing it for the right reasons it's a it is a really good opportunity for passive investors people who don't know how to be operators yeah now, what about somebody that's going into this and it's their first time, but of course they're not, it's their, it's their first time, but they have a great business plan. They understand they've been researching, right. And they say, Hey, this is going to be great. I need other people uh, to raise capital. Do you approach first timers differently than you would with somebody that's been doing it for a while? Is there a different thought process they need to be going through? Or, you know, because there's all sorts of ways, and this is the thing that we, we can talk about, because this, this was really hard for me. There's so many ways to structure these deals. Yeah, It's crazy how many different ways that you can structure. It's, it's not, wait, we touched on just two legal ways of the 506 C and B, but that's not structuring the deal. Right. You that's get in right. the middle of it. And it's, th this is an open-ended thing. Yeah. You know, how I guide it, a little bit, yes, I, I do approach first timers a little differently, um, but I'm fairly conservative regardless of whether it's your first deal or your 10th deal, right? Um, and, and that I try to approach it of, you don't get to start being a cowboy just because you've done a lot of deals, but there is a little bit more handholding in terms of the structuring of first timers. The one thing I will say though, that that is, very different is when I have first timers who've never syndicated a deal who want to raise a huge fund. I try to steer people away from that because I don't think people realize how hard it is to raise a fund. Yeah. Right? Even for even for seasoned syndicators, you are asking people to bet on the jockey and not the horse. The yep. reason, one of the main reasons why people love investing in real estate is they've got a tangible thing they can see how it's performed up until now, what you think you're going to do to it and how it's going to perform in the future. If you're in a fund, you don't have that. And you don't have the benefit of showing we've done this deal, this deal, this deal, you know, your track record. So I do treat new timer or first timers a little bit differently in that regard where I try to steer them, or at least maybe let's don't do a $50 million fund out of the gate, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and, and those for legal reasons, but also just practical reasons, right? Yeah. Because raising 5 million bucks is pretty good. But if you said you're going to raise 50, then it looks like a failure. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and you're exactly right. We move. We went to the fund model, and I was shocked at the difference when you're raising a blind fund. Right. Luckily for us, all our deals are under under contract now. Right. And it's not even a blind blind fund, but we're still raising capital. But you're right. People look at it differently because it, it, they don't know what they're getting then. Right. And um, up until now, it's always been this syndication, this asset, 
right? Which now we have, which I like way better. And I tell people, I'm like, get a deal. Worry about everything else afterwards, mm -hmm. right? Because once you have a deal, that that answers a lot of different questions and it, you know it, it really moves it forward. But blindly giving someone giving you capital on an idea, it, it, it does. It creates complications. But more importantly, like you're talking about, it's just hard. It's really, really hard. It is. And I think a lot of people underestimate that. Now, I when they're structuring right. it, when they're structuring this thing. Talk to me about pros, cons, and which ways you can go with structuring the deal within a 506C and a 506B, right? Or, I mean, we obviously have the joint venture, um, which, which is different. But what are ways that you typically see people doing it and why? So how I usually guide people here is I say, you look at your investor base and figure out what is your goal that you think your investor base wants to see? And this is going to be largely driven by the market that you're in and your asset class, right? So if people are in ground up construction, for example, they're going to expect a little bit higher returns than they are in value add multifamily, for example, right? Yeah. So look at your investor base, look at your asset class and figure out what your goal is. A good baseline to start is the two and 20, just private equity model, start at two and 20, um, where you get a 2% asset management fee and an 80-20 split on profits. If back into the numbers and see where that gets you, does that get you a high enough return on your projections that you think your investor base is going to be happy? And then just kind of wiggle it around from there. Do you think they're going to need a preferred return to, to be happy? Do you think, you know, we're going to need to maybe do, um, do something a little bit richer? Um, can we afford to take a little bit more? Is this, you know, um, a lot of deer, deals will be uh, just fine if, if the sponsors take a little bit more. Um, so I, I just like them to kind of back into it, start with a baseline. You're going to have to do the modeling anyway and, and play with it. And the numbers are going to tell you, you know. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. And also that also comes down to, once again, why raising a blind fund is so difficult. Right. That's if exactly you don't know the returns you're going to get, you're trying to create a model, which the investor has nothing to go off of to understand that because um and i and i love what you said back into it because that's like we look at it is and the investor is going to look at what return am i getting right so if you have an asset that delivers an eight percent return that you have to chop up amongst parties things like that that's very very different obviously than an asset that delivers a 16 percent return it's literally double the return. So you're you're going to have to guide within the realm of what investors will do. And I think for me, uh, I see a lot of people start out where it's like, you got to give the investors pretty much everything because you need to earn that reputation. You need to earn it. And, pe and those people, their risk is higher. So that return that you're giving them is not perceived as like a really known thing right? There's more embedded risk. So they're discounting that return with you as a first timer. And that's okay. Right. And it's, again, it's a lot easier when there's an asset to point to too, because you've got some justification and we have a fund. We, we always guide people don't even give projected returns on a fund because what is it based on? Yeah. It's not, but you, there's no asset to base it on. You can give a range of what you hope to achieve. And you can say that our investment criteria, how we select properties we're only going to choose properties that we think will get you there, but we can't give you any projections because it's ether. There's nothing. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's so that's why it's harder for first timers. Uh, 
Yeah, no, it's so funny because this is like a realization I've I've just been having like this past week and, you know, working with investors and, and talking about these things, because obviously like investors yeah, that we're talking to are asking for those things. Well, hey, can I see if I was going to invest X amount, what's that going to look like mm-hmm. over this, this and that? And so I'm like, hey, yeah, can we get that, you know, spreadsheet? And it's like, well, we don't have it. It's like, oh, like, okay, yeah. That's yeah, a it's, hard it's, conversation. <laughs> It is. Yeah. yeah. And that's why that track record, you can say, okay, we'll tell you what, I don't have it for this fund, but here's how we've done historically. We hope to continue to do that. We can't guarantee, but we hope to. And that's why having that track record and, you know, our team has been operating together for how many years we've done so many deals. We've made this much in returns historically. That's really important. And, and you can point to that. You can say, here's, here's historically what we've done. Yeah. Yeah, when we got our last deal under contract, I think the whole team was just like, whew, because not like it was a labor, but it's just, it ends 80% of all the questions. Right. They're just gone mm-hmm. at that point, right? It's yeah. like, we don't have to be going through circles. It's, you no, know, here's what we have. Here's the returns. Here's what it, what what is going on. Now, let's talk, we've talked raising capital, structuring it, right? Um um, you have, in general, we have uh, general partners and limited partners, limited partners being the passive ones, right? Those are your investors, generally speaking. Um, the general partner being you and breaking up that, uh, or the sponsor is also another word for the general partner, breaking up those returns and splits through fees, as well as percentages, like how much of the return goes where that's normally the two ways that we see capital within those deals broken up right fees and splits so to speak is that pretty uh right way to look at it yeah that's pretty much it and as long as you disclose what all those fees or potential compensation what 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 they are and, and what the splits are you can do almost anything you want as long as you disclose it right um, and that, that means any other compensation, like I have an affiliate business that is a property manager and that business is going to take a 6% property management fee. You just mm-hmm. dis- disclose that comp. Um, if you do that and your investors are cool with it, you're good. So there are a lot of different ways to earn that money, right. Yeah. That you, that you're going to get. And I mean, your team is really interesting and unique because you guys do so much of the work yourselves. Yeah. So, you know, that's what, you know, as, as you look through that, maybe it looks like there are more fees than other deals, except for that most people, they still spend it. They just have to outsource it and spend it, have less control over it. Yeah. Right. And that's a, that's a really important thing that too, you want to hit on with investors. So you're right. They're not surprised. Um, Especially if you're outsourcing a lot of those, those um, fees, you better make sure you got those right. That yeah. it's not like yeah. you get the deal under contract, then you go to outsource property management, uh, you go to outsource CapEx and find out that those numbers are are not right. That's, I, I, I think when I look at um, syndicating and funds, surprises are what investors don't like. Right. Um, that's when people get upset. That's true. And, you know, we, we actually don't really let you do surprises, right? So we disclose everything we know at the time. And the, the rule is that it's got to be true at the time you disclose it. But if there's a material change while you're raising the money that comes up that you learn about, you've got to disclose that and update people. And if it is material enough, you have to give them the option to get out, right? Yeah. 
So if it's, if, if you say, oh, we, no problem, we've got like a 2% property management fee and it comes in and it's 10 and it's going to dip your numbers materially. If it's material, we've got to disclose it. We got to give people a chance to be like, you know what? I wouldn't have done it. Yep. Had, had you told me originally what it was really going to be. Yeah. Right? And the thing that's, that, that makes people nervous about that is investors can just tell you that's why if they get spooked for any reason, they can be like, oh, I got a chance to get out. I'm going to get out. So if the market dips yeah. a little or there's anything going on, they can get out. And that doesn't really have to be why. Yeah. Right? So you just yeah, well, be careful. It, so that's a, that's a good point. Let's talk about that in these deals. Um, what happens with investors when they want out? And how does that generally work? Generally speaking, these are illiquid investments, meaning your investors cannot get out except for the exit opportunities or options you tell them ahead of time, right? So one of the ways that that people get out is they just hang out until you've sold all the properties. That's one way. Um, You tell them that we're going to cash you out at at a refi or whatever that is. But you define how people get out. Otherwise, it's illiquid. Yeah. So they don't have to, you don't have to let people out. Now, uh, with the big caveat being, if there's some material change that you should have disclosed, but didn't, then um, you do need to give that opportunity for people to get out um, just to protect yourself from, from a lawsuit later, right? If the deal goes south and they're like, this all changed and I wouldn't have invested and he didn't give me the chance to get out, then, you know, now you've got, you've got issues. So that's the, the big, big caveat there. But otherwise, the ways to get out are going to be just sort of the natural, you sell the asset, um, or you get them to a certain return, for example, um, and then you can buy them out. Or you could give what's called a redemption option, you could give investors the right to get out, but you have to put rules around that ahead of time. So it's sort of not like a free for all. COVID is a really good example of that, right? I had clients calling me right after you know, March 20th, like my investors are getting nervous. Do I have to give them their money back? And the general rule is no, you don't. Yeah. It's it's an investment and and stuff happens and it doesn't make it the sponsor's fault. Yeah. Right. It's terrible and it's a lousy conversation to have to have. It is one you have to have, though. That's the one thing yeah. I will say is don't just like put your head in the sand and and ignore it, like get in front of it and stay in front of your investors. But no, the answer is we might not be able to pay a preferred return for a little bit. We don't know what's going to happen. We might have to bulk up our reserves because lenders are getting weird, you know, all those things. But if you disclose the the option that that could, or the opportunity that that could happen, then you're going to be protected. And that's exactly why you want to have um, your disclosures and, and a securities lawyer in your corner to make sure you don't get stuck having to give people their money back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really important because, you know, one person pulling their money out could tank a deal. It can, right. can cause, it can really damage all the other investors. And, and I like to say most of these rules that we have and how we have it with like controls, only the GP has control. It is more to protect the other investors than it is to protect me. Exactly. Say, you don't have one crazy investor because the investors that invested with me, they know what they're getting. I'm getting AJ. Mm-hmm. If there's somebody else that has more control, right? Or somebody else that can cause problems. The investor's like, I didn't invest with them. What in the world's going on, right? Well, that is a material change. No, that's exactly right. That's a material change. If if you were to come to me and say, you know what? I'm kind of tired. I'm going to bring in someone that's just going to take over 51% um, and management control. And you're still raising money. 
we've got to disclose that and let people get a chance to get out because that yeah. is material. They are investing in you. Yes. Right. In your team. Yes. You know, and I think with all these things, how we feel about it, it's just transparency. Mm-hmm. Talk to the investors, let them know what's going on, right? Have a game plan going forward. And if you ever get outside that game plan, make sure you document, right, all of those responses and make sure you have somebody like Bethany that works with you to do the coordination and communication on that to make sure it's done correctly and right and that you are working within the documents that you set forth with those investors, that you're staying true to what they signed up for. Um, and generally speaking with that, you can you can manage and work through everything. Um, and I think right now I want to talk about one other thing here before you let go. I don't want to take up all your day, but online communication and talking, that is such a big way that people are out raising money And this is people that don't even have a big following. This can be people that are just, that's how we communicate today. It's everything is done online. And so what are things that you need to be aware of, do's and don'ts when on social media or online public platforms? The first thing I would say is everything you say to any potential investor is part of your offering. Okay. Even if I don't put it in a PPM for you, even if it doesn't show up in your operating agreement or your documents, it is part of your offering because it is, it is something that you've said in the offer and sale of securities, right? So you want to be careful that you don't say anything online that you wouldn't feel comfortable putting in writing in your offering documents or your business plan, you know? So that's, that's the big thing no promises, no guarantees. A lot of times I've heard people call a preferred return, um, like they're guaranteed interest or they're guaranteed payment or whatever. There is no guarantee at all. So um, I want to steer clear of that kind of language. Um, We will double or triple your money, you know, no absolutes. Um, And even when you're talking about your track record, uh, I, I like to put the disclaimers in there. That's why I like to limit it to just bite-sized blurbs that, that you had put out where it's, you know, we're hoping to, we're projecting to do this. This is what we're projecting to do to hope to do this. Um, you know, it, keeping it kind of general, don't get specifically in the weeds with numbers when you don't have room for a disclaimer. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, and that, that's, that's the biggest piece of advice I think. And then, the other piece of advice is, look, if you have a good securities layer, ask them to review it for you yeah. right before you yep. post it. Yep. hundred um, percent. Bethany, this has been awesome. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people go to find you, learn about you um, or reach out to you? Uh, where should we direct them? Um, so I'm with Premier Law Group. My email is Bethany at plglp.com. Um, a lot of folks might know uh, my partner, Mauricio Raul. So if you look him up on Facebook, you find me too. Um, and you can look me up on YouTube and Facebook, Bethany Laflam. Wonderful. And Perfect. we will put both of those things in the link below. And uh, once again, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. This is okay. such a timely conversation. Uh, conversation and so many questions around it. So <laughs> anytime, yeah. my pleasure.
Appreciate it. Talk soon. All right. Thanks.